Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Barbara Horn, who is the current president of the AOA. Uh, and we talked about mainly communication for our patients and the public on how to be able to articulate what we're doing beyond just the prescription of glasses and contact lenses in terms of patients' eye health and systemic health and their vision. And so with that, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And as always, give us a five-star review and be sure to subscribe to the podcast and please enjoy. What has been your kind of biggest, uh, you know, most exciting thing that you were able to do over the last six months? What's the thing that you expected that you, or maybe the thing you didn't expect that has been more of your job than what you thought it was going to be? Well, thank you for the question. I think that this year, you know, we're continuing to focus on state government relations and on the future practice initiative. One of the biggest things for my year is making sure that we're also focused on our members and focused on going to the colleges for our board meetings. We've been meeting with the faculty, the deans, and the students. We want to make sure that we're answering any questions and interacting with them, getting to know them on a personal level. So visiting the colleges has been fantastic. We're trying to hit as many as we can during our board meetings, so that's been exciting. I've been on within the volunteer structure for about 21 years, and being the president, it didn't surprise me how much more the workload is, but I'm telling you, it's it's every few minutes. It is a nine o'clock email that you need to edit this 47-page document that's going to the Federal Trade Commission, those sorts of things that I knew would be there, but it's, it's really, in a good way, overwhelming. And the team we have, the staff that we have, it's phenomenal. We're making a big impact this year. Very excited about it. Yeah, I think, um, so I always liken it to, um so, Barb, you and I have known each other, I, I mean, since I was probably in school. Um, so, at least 12 years, I would imagine, because you were sort of in, I think, in Michigan leadership at that point, and then um, yeah. over to the AOA. You've been in, on the board now for eight years, seven years? Um, I joined the board in 2011, so I'm in my eighth to ninth year right now. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> but I always, what I, what's always amazing to me, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, is just that you know, the, um, as, a, as a member of an organization, you sort of have an idea of what's going on, but, um, but as you, like, become involved in a committee, then sort of all these other sort of doors open and it's like, oh, well, okay, now I get a little bit more. And then you're a committee chair and, oh, okay, this makes some sense. And now you're on the board of trustees. And so, um, so kind of give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of things that, um, that happen. You, you talked about staff and, and volunteers. You get to see all the inner workings of that. And I think sometimes on, you know, on Facebook or, or there, we just don't get a, a sense of like what's going on or why decisions are made the way they're made. We just get to see the decision. Um, and so we don't get to see all the thought that went into that. So what, what's been your perspective on that? Yeah, that's a really great question. I love that question. You know, I don't think many of us go into this to be the president of this association. I think that you get involved like you did. You find an area you're passionate about. You learn from the other volunteers. The staff that we have, like I said, they're amazing. We've got key people with the expertise in the various areas that we need, whether it's PR, whether it's advocacy, um, patient tools, education. So it is true that once you start getting involved, you kind of get a little bug to continue to do more. 
because you do understand what's happening and the importance of the decisions that are made. Um, without our staff, we have 100 staff members, about 80 in St. Louis and about 20 in our Washington, D.C. office. And their area and their ability to know the right responses and the way to communicate with our membership and with the public is phenomenal. So I've really learned so much behind the scenes and the decisions are made as a group. Not one person makes a decision. We work together. The volunteers, we have hundreds of volunteers, as you know, we have our board of trustees and we have all of our staff working together. So we make sure that every decision made is thoroughly thought through um, and it's a great group. Yeah. Yeah, and so if, I, if we go back to kind of your tours uh, across the states and to the, the universities, what's been the thing that you think um, people are most excited about or most, most concerned about that you keep, you know, that, that you encounter when you go through uh, and meet with the students and the, and the docs? Well, I think that with students, it's usually uh, student debt that they have concerns about. We have different groups working with them on that, and we work together with ASCO and the Association of Schools and Colleges of Optometry to try to help the students. To uh, We have AOA Excel as a program where they can refinance student loans. We try to help them out in every way we can. You know, with faculty, um, we want to make sure we have benefits for our faculty. Now, every optometrist is benefited by the work of our state associations and by the AOA, but we want to make sure that we're really letting people know the benefits that they're receiving and having these conversations with faculty when we're one-on-one -on -one and face-to-face -face has been very beneficial. I hope for them, but for us as well, because we can really learn a whole lot more about the college itself and their needs and what their concerns are. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, then the, the other stuff that, that kind of you get to do now as president is all the other things that you were doing as a board member. As president, you really become the face and the mouthpiece for the profession. So how has that, has that surprised you or have, has there been anything recently or, or even over the last six months that you thought, man, I'm having to address a lot of things that, um, that I think should just be intuitive or, or you feel like you're really ready to go and, and kind of have these, these public conversations with everybody uh, on behalf of the profession? Um, was that a learning curve? Did it just sort of come naturally? Because you do a very good job of it. And so did it, it just come naturally through, um, through like, it's just something you learn as a board member and then it, and it sort of all carries up until you're ready to become president. And what, how does that work? In terms of well, I think that any, right. But, and it, it's uh, interesting that we have so many opportunities. I think that was a little bit of a shock, the opportunities we have, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but as far as learning to do it, when you're new in practice and you're standing in front of a group, sometimes you're a little bit timid about it because you feel a little anxious, but the more and more you learn and the more background you have, the more ready you are to discuss it. So in 21 years of being a volunteer within this organization, I've learned so much from everyone around me that I feel very comfortable and very confident in what we're doing and what we're talking about. Now, some of those opportunities that I just said, shocking that we've gotten tickets to go to the Democratic mm. presidential debate. Um, we have more tickets coming up for a couple of weeks that I'm sending other people to go on our behalf that are leaders of, of organizations, state organizations, um, to be able to go to a dinner uh, with the Republicans that take back the House event. Uh, President Trump was there and just yesterday I received the photo from that event. So yeah, the opportunity... The opportunity to spread our message is just far and wide, and the ability to go to that event. I was with hundreds of people at this Republican event, and I brought my 2020 eye exam sign, and I made sure people knew that we're promoting proper care and the importance of eye care to Americans, and we're really spreading that message. The opportunities we get because of how 
how influential our staff members are, people reach out to them and say, we've got these tickets, do you want them? Well, yes, yes, we do. (laughs) So we're taking advantage of every opportunity and the opportunities we've had in this upcoming election year have been outstanding. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, it just underscores the the idea of, you know, Chris Wolf can't go and get tickets to the Democratic uh, convention or the Republican convention generally, right? Um, right. But collectively, we, we have this, uh, these opportunities to continue to advance uh, patient care and, and improve patient care through the advocacy efforts that we get to do by having these relationships built. And that's what's so important. Absolutely. It is. And the AOA has established itself as a leader and as the voice, the voice of eye care. And we get these opportunities because they know that we're there, we're reliable, we're going to spread a good message. And these opportunities just keep being handed to us. And it's absolutely impressive. Do you think, so then then what do you think, and I don't want to dwell too much on this, but um, what do you think the the impetus for, or why is there sort of this onslaught of, of what seems to be an onslaught of kind of these public attacks uh, on the profession? You know, we, we saw over the last couple of weeks, we saw the Atlantic article, and, I, and we don't need to dwell too much on that negativity, but, you know, why? I guess the, the question is, why are, why are we seeing this? What, what sort of things are driving that? Well, it is unfortunate, and we know that this has happened for a long time. It's not just, as you know, the past couple of weeks, we've got disruptors, we have profiteers, we have people that want to benefit without caring about the patient's overall health, their eye health and their overall health as well. So we continue to look at this misinformation. Um, We appreciate technology. Technology is great when it's one piece of the puzzle, when you go for an in-person comprehensive eye exam, and you can use this technology to benefit the patient and their overall care. Um, We just know that there are a lot of people out there to try to profit off of the patients at the expense of their health. And we are here to continue to protect the patients so that they get the quality care that they need and that they deserve. Yeah, I think, it, I think what's really interesting to me is that you know, the, the, the people who are advocating for um, basically less uh, restriction on things like prescriptions for glasses and contact lenses, you know, if you, if you look at, I, I'm try, I've tried to kind of wrap my mind around this and, and think, you know, the rate of, of U.S. Americans taking anti-hypotensive medications, according to the CDC, is about 33%. 33% of everybody over the age of 20 is taking a hypotensive medication. And, you know, I think it, it would be, you'd be very hard-pressed to find an article advocating that you should be able to go to your pharmacy and, produce, and, and purchase hydrochlorothiazide or metoprolol, excuse me, when a patient's having headaches or shortness of breath. So like even to make that analogy a little bit more um, similar to our situation, let's say that patient was already on hydrochlorothiazide and they were asymptomatic and they hadn't taken their medic, hadn't seen their physician in over a year. Very few physicians would be um, likely to renew that prescription without seeing them first or and I don't think they would receive much criticism for doing that. So why do people, why do you think there's this disconnect between the, the prescriptions we write for glasses and contact lenses and say like systemic medications like hydrochlorothiazide, for example? Well, I think that, you know, one point you made early on in that statement, and I want to give you a good quote that I've heard time and time again, is that increased access to inferior care is not a win for anybody. Mm-hmm. So you can increase access to these technologies that are actually harmful for patients and nobody's going to win through that and as you said you can't walk into a pharmacy 
check your blood pressure and walk up to the pharmacist and say, give me this much of this dose for this long of a supply. You can't do that. So I think that people are trying to commoditize eye care. And as you know, prescriptions are a patient's to have. So when you do a glasses prescription, here's your prescription. We're happy to help you make sure that we're giving you quality pair of glasses or that we're getting you the proper contact lenses. Those prescriptions are theirs. Um, but people are trying to skirt the system and, and tell people to not get an eye exam and just keep renewing their contacts. And you know, and I know, and any optometrist listening knows that that's putting people at risk because they need to be seen to make sure that they're wearing their contacts properly, that they're handling them properly, properly, that they're caring for them, cleaning them, and getting the best lens for their eye because it is not a one size fits all by yeah. any means. Yeah. And I think it's also important um, in all of all of the what you said. I mean, it, it's important to know that you know, just because a lens was okay for my eye last year doesn't mean it's going to be okay for my eye this year or maybe the optimum solution for my eye this year. And I think, you know, constantly communicating to the public that, you know, uh, not just that technology improves, but that, that as you age, there's things that, that can change the shape of the front part of your eye, that can change the interaction between your tear film and the lens and your upper eyelids, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, um, that message is, is one that I think is a winning message, actually, when you articulate it well. It's just the case that um, I'm wondering how well, uh, not necessarily our associations are articulating that message. I think they, they, that we do a really good job of that. I just wonder, Barb, how well individually uh, we're communicating that to our patients. Do you think that has anything to do with any of this? I absolutely do. Absolutely. I think that you know, we have many programs and we can talk a little bit about that because they're important programs as far as educating the public. But according to Health and Human Services, only about 12% of Americans have proficient health literacy. This means that the people we're engaging with are maybe not understanding everything that we're saying to them and we need to make it easy for them to do that. It's up to every optometrist and every healthcare provider to explain to the patients what you're doing, when you're doing it, why it's important and how the patient can move forward with helping them throughout the year until you see him back in another year. So it is our job. It's every optometrist's job and our staff members' jobs at our office as well. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the different programs, the PR program, the Think About Your Eyes, which is we're trying to change the behavior of Americans to be sure that they understand the importance of getting that annual comprehensive eye examination for them, for their family. Um, you know, at some point too, we should talk about the different programs we have to try to help people get to that care. Yeah. So it's exciting, exciting times and a great way to educate. And every time we hit an obstacle or people who are working against us or disrupting, it's yet another way to educate everybody once again about the importance of our care. Yeah, I think, I think Barb, one of the things that, um, and you brought this up and I, 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 it's sort of astounding when you really think about the fact that like you said 12% of American adults have proficient health literacy. And, um, and yet I, I feel like even, you know, if I'm, if I'm busy or they add some patients because we're trying to work patients in because of, of different acute illnesses or new symptoms that they may develop and we want to be able to, to make sure that we're delivering care for them, um, I, I can get caught up in um, feeling like, well, I don't need to tell them all the things that I'm watching for. I can just say everything looks good and we're moving on to the next patient. And every time I do that, at the end of the day, I feel like, man, did I really do a good job? I mean, I, I did a good job caring for them, 
But what, it, what I always think of is that I do a good job communicating the importance of what I was looking at and why it's important for them to come back next year. Because if I don't do that, I, I truly believe this, that if I don't do that, then um, my practice over time, if I do that enough for, for too many um, occurrences, pretty soon I am not any different than anybody else. And in theory, in the patient's mind, I'm not any different than what they can get um, from a, a quote unquote disruptor. I would call them unproven technologies, right? But, but uh, so I can't, I can't do that, not just for my practice, but I also can't not educate the patients because it's not in their well-being. Because if I'm not just, if I'm communicating to them um, through my words of what we're looking at, then it's going to be a lot more challenging for them to think that they can get the same thing from one quote unquote test that they can get. So how do you, how do I guess, how do you do the same thing in your practice? How do you uh, make sure that you're not, um, that you're taking the time to do that same communication for the patient so that you're not, um, you know, robbing them and robbing the profession of, of, uh, good um, understanding of what we're doing so we can increase that literacy? I love that question. And I think that in optometry and when we're performing these comprehensive eye exams, it's a great opportunity because it takes time to do the exam. And as you're doing each step of the exam, it's taking you a minute or two to, to get to the spot to do the testing. For example, putting on your BIO and getting the light ready. I mean, you can say to the patients, which I do every time, I'm going to be looking at your retina to make sure and I explain what the retina is. And as I'm doing it, explain that I'm looking for holes or tears or tumors. And you can't get too wordy because then it gets confusing, sure. but you can educate them as to why you're looking at their retina and, and, and telling them that things are looking healthy or that you have a concern that they need to come back, whether it's six months or for sure next year. Um, you know, you see all sorts of things like a nevus or freckle in the eye right. and you educate them as to why it's important. So each step of the eye exam takes you some time to get to that step and as you're preparing and pulling the slit lamp over to them you can educate us to now I'll be looking for this and you can talk to them throughout it so I think that um, the exam itself is a great opportunity to continue to educate and then also at each step ask if they have any questions and the most important thing is at the end of your exam I think we all know this make sure you say do you have any questions because if you didn't answer the one question that they had when they entered you didn't do anything in their mind. You need yeah. to make sure that you're addressing their concern. Yeah, I always find that when, when I'm describing what I'm doing and what I'm looking for, it actually winds up generating more questions for them. You know, at the beginning of your exam, you, maybe, maybe they're coming back, let's say, for glaucoma, and that's what my focus is going to be because that's, you know, it's their time. It's their, their, let's say, biannual exam. They've got mild glaucoma or ocular hypertension. And, um, or, excuse me, I said biannual, semi-annual exam. And, um, and so, you know, I'll tell them, you know, this visit, I'm concerned about making sure that your glaucoma hasn't progressed. But is there anything else that is on your mind about your eyes uh, that, that you want me to address today? Or, um, and sometimes they'll say no, but then as I'm talking about the things that I'm looking at, then all of a sudden it triggers something in their mind to say, oh, I'm going to ask about that. And in terms of, of, you know, from a practice management standpoint, that winds up, if, I'm, if I am going to manage those other diseases that, you know, that might not be as serious as glaucoma, but every bit as important as, like, say, meibomian gland dysfunction or dry eye or, uh, you know, allergies, which are common, very common, then, then it gives me an opportunity to actually show that we can do a whole other gamut of, of services that um, are related. And, and now I'm not just communicating with my words, 
but I'm communicating that with my actions in my practice that, hey, we can take care of these problems for you. I think that's super important. I agree. And one of my favorite things to do after introducing myself and giving a warm greeting, my favorite thing is to pull up the photos that we've already taken, explain to them that the only place in the human body that you can directly view blood vessels is in the eye. And most people seem shocked by that the wording and then I show them I blow it up and I say this is your optic nerve and I explain the different things that I'm looking at within the photo and then when you say this is the macula the part of the eye you use to see fine details or however you want to phrase it in the back of their mind they're going well my my grandfather or my dad has macular degeneration and then oh my dad should come in and they, they kind of think wow I don't have that problem because I'm at the end show them how healthy their eye looks but they're now thinking, well, gosh, this was thorough. I should probably tell my dad that this would be a, a great step to go in and get that comprehensive eye exam. So educating the patients is fun for one thing. And I, as many optometrists do, love talking about how much we can see within that comprehensive exam. Yeah. So then tell me how um, you, you're mentioning think about your eyes, but um, I, I want to make sure that I didn't, I didn't glaze over that point. Tell me about kind of the things that Think About Your Eyes is doing to augment our conversations in the exam room for the patients so that the public can become more aware of what we're doing. That's a great question. You know, the AOA has had a public relations program for years, many years, decade or two. And in that public relations, we have been, as I've already said, the turn to people for everything I envision. So we are contacted constantly with opportunities to educate. Think About Your Eyes is a separate program from the AOA PR public relations program, but Think About Your Eyes is trying to make sure that people understand the importance and to change the behavior, getting people in for that comprehensive eye examination. So since it started, there have been more than 8 million new eye exams since that campaign has um, kicked off, and we're looking for 2020 to be no different and in fact, quite increased in our opportunities to educate with this epic year being something we can promote as well. So think about your eyes. They're getting people, it's been proven, in sooner. They're not spacing out their eye exams as far. They're bringing other family members in, and we're definitely making a big impact on getting people in for that care so that we can continue to educate about the importance of what we do. Yeah, and and, um, and so that is supported by... Um, I mean, obviously it has a tagline of AOA, but I think one of the, one of the important things is that it's, it's a largely tagline from AOA, but we've had a lot of support from our, our state affiliates, our local doctors, but also industry. Absolutely. Industry has been key in making sure that this kicked off and that it continues on. You know, dentistry, you know, decades and decades ago had their message that you get your teeth cleaned every six months. Well, optometry has been crying for a program like this for decades, and it's finally here. Think about your eyes is that program. We've got industry involved. We have the state um, associations that are on board, and, of course, the AOA. It does say brought to you by the AOA, but it's certainly a huge huge promotion by every area within the eye care industry. And so when the tide rises, all boats rise and everyone is enjoying the education that we're getting out of this very, very important program. And this is a key year to keep it growing and moving forward. You know, the, um, the analogy to dentistry is one that I've, I've used on the podcast before. And, and, um, and I, th I think there's, What's, what is interesting about that is, is this idea of, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big guy on understanding the value that our profession has to our patients. And, um, and I think that 
it, within our own practices, patients have the opportunity to get a, you know, a very high quality pair of glasses that are made to fit their face based on their features and the way they're using their eyes and those sorts of things. But as you said, they're entitled to go wherever they want to. And, um, and so one of the things that I'd love to hear your reaction on is that I never spend very much time with my patients actually talking to them about um, like why they need to buy their glasses or contact lenses from our practice. Um, so much of what I do is uh, managing chronic eye diseases. And so I spend very little of my time actually doing what would be considered a routine eye exam. But I'm always amazed when, um, when I'll have a full day with very few quote unquote routine eye exams or even few refractions that day. And then I look at what we've generated in our, as a revenue in our, in our optical from those patients and they, um, and it's, it always amazes me. Like, how did this happen? I didn't, I didn't hardly write any prescriptions. And, and I think it's the case that what happens is if you take very good care of them and communicate that, and I'm, again, I'm trying to be humble. I, I think that we do an adequate job um, of, of caring for patients. And I think we do a really good job of communicating about that care. Um, I'm trying to be as humble as possible, but I guess my point is, is, is I think there's this sort of halo effect that occurs when, um, when we take a good care of a patient in the exam room that extends to our entire practice, that extends to the dispensary, it extends to our, our staff. And so if we do a good job back in that exam room, then we don't have to really convince a patient as to why they should purchase products from us. If we decide that we want to sell products in our practice, they just intuitively think that they're, they are better than they can get someplace else. I believe that deep down, but, um, but they believe it as well because we've done a good job on the back end. Uh, what do you think about that? Is there anything to that? Um, am I missing something? Well, I think the key point in my opinion is that when you're taking care of people, they know it. I think that your staff is key to making sure that patients are comfortable and happy. And when staff trust you as a practitioner and you work so well together and you hand the patient off to staff and they can educate us to what would be best for them. So even if someone isn't going to get glasses in your office, we still say, let me review the information. And if it's an insurance, let us go over your insurance. You know what they would help you with. And then that education process is important because we're going to take that time with the patient. And in the same respect, as far as contact lenses go, I may not have the time to sit and watch them put their lenses in or out, but it's really important that our staff understands, you know, we've all seen this, a patient walks over and, and gets their finger wet with water and then tries to scup their contact. Well, those are the key points that we need to be watching. We need to be a team, the staff, the doctor. We need to make sure we're educating people, whether it's in the optical, working with our contacts. And I think that you know, a happy, cordial, good conversation with the patient, with staff, it just makes everyone feel comfortable. And of course, once you've educated them, they're certainly welcome to take their prescription. But I think the confidence that they, as you said, they get the confidence in you as your provider, as their provider. And I think that it, it does help. They feel, um, they trust us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's the bottom line is that patients do, they do trust us and they, and rightfully so they should. I mean, you know, the, um, the, it's just always interesting to me. I, I hear people that will, you know, like from a practice management standpoint that will be concerned about delivering, you know, higher levels of care, more advanced levels of care, instead of just referring them out of your practice. And it seems to me that the more um, excellence that we get in, um, in managing chronic eye diseases, the, uh, 
kind of it, it can just completely elevates the perception of our of patients of our entire practice and um and i and so um so anyway i, I just i that's always the, the fear that you will uh, not be able to sell as many glasses or contact lenses i just don't think that's founded in our profession i think uh, so these arguments that, that are being made against our profession that saying all we care about is selling glasses and contact lenses, I think that's a result. The reason that we do is a result of the fact that patients trust us as opposed to a result of the fact that we're hold, somehow holding on to prescriptions and twisting people's arms to buy from us. Right. I agree. That's a good point. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So what, um, thank you. So I want to be respectful of your time. Anything that I'm missing, anything else that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, we kind of started out this by, by talking about things that you have been surprised by over the last six months. Is there anything else that, you know, as a member, I kind of need to know that um, is going on from an AOA standpoint that I should be involved in or that uh, I can help out with? Sure. I think that everybody should make sure they're on AOA.org and getting updates. We have weekly updates. If you're on our social media, you're seeing constant updates. You know, that's a really great way for practitioners to take an article that's professionally done, post it on social media, take it and share it on your practices page. It gives great information, educationals for patients. That's a great way to go about it. I do also want to point out that we have many ways that we provide care for patients in a cost-effective way, such as the no-charge infancy under the infancy program, which is part of Optometry Cares, the AOA Foundation. We do a no-charge assessment within the first year of life for infants so we can make sure they're on the right track, make sure that their vision is developing properly, and that, of course, their eyes are healthy. And by doing this, you're reaching out into your community. You can send a letter to the pediatrician and let them know that you've done this for their patient. And the, the providers within your area will also see how much you care that you're providing no-charge assessments for these infants. You know, we have other ways that people can get care. The Vision USA program is something that if the people need care but don't have the income or access to it, we will connect people with providers in their area that will do this care under the Vision USA program. So, you know, that's the other thing is we're criticized for, you know, charging a fee for an eye exam, mm -hmm. but we have so many programs, not only these programs, but others within our community where we provide care for patients when they need it. Um, and we're there for everybody, whether it's emergencies or comprehensive care. And I want people to make sure that they know about these programs that are happening and to stay up on it by going to AOA.org, watch our Facebook, um, AOA Facebook page, other Twitter pages, and make sure that you're sharing information because it's so well done, professionally done, it's legally reviewed, it's edited, and you can just simply share it and it can increase the traffic on your own pages for your practice and get great information out there. Yeah, I think that's important is, um, is the, the idea of share. You know, I, I'm, um, I'm not as, as savvy uh, from a from a social media standpoint as I probably ought to be, but you know, it's not just as, it's not just good enough to like them. You know, I look at, at every day in the, in the, in my email, I get, um, you know, I get AOA focus in focus, uh, the update every morning. I think it's in focus. First look. Yes. First look. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. First look. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, so I get first look and, and I actually, you know, almost every day there's an article that I can, I can share uh, on our page from our practice. And so, um, so I think when, when you see that it's, it's easy to like it, but it's not that hard to also share it. And the shares are what really are going to ramp up the, the uh, efficacy of that, um, of that campaign. 
more of that. Yeah, go ahead. And well, the first look, this is one thing that I preach this everywhere I go, every state I go to, that first look, it gives you bullet points of things that have been posted across the nation in any type of publication related to eye or vision care or things that would be of interest to us as optometrists. Well, individually, we don't all have the ability to go to the Wall Street Journal, to go to all these and, and ch check and see, hey, was anything you know brought up on eye care? It comes to your mailbox first thing in the morning. And many times I've had a patient ask me, did you see the Wall Street or whichever it is article and I can say yes in fact I have seen that because it was laid out directly to my email from the AOA and if I need more information on that you know you get them dilating and you, you print something out and you hand it to them and you can show them that so first look great point that is so valuable and it just saves us all time from trying to go research it ourselves it's done for us and is right in our mailbox so if people don't get it they need to reach out to the AOA and make sure that they're getting that valuable, very valuable benefit. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, Dr. Horn, I appreciate you being on today. I think, um, I think uh, it was very helpful to kind of get a sense of, of what goes on in your day-to-day -day life as well as what, you know, kind of all the stuff that has gone on within the profession. When you think about last, last question, maybe, um, the, um, when you think about 2020, what what do you hope comes out of 2020 from all of the the initiatives over the next six months of your presidency, and um, that that you can kind of look back on and say this is this is this is wonderful. What an opportunity! Well, the answer to that would be people getting the care that they need and deserve. People getting that comprehensive eye examination and getting our message out and having it sink in how important comprehensive eye exams are. And 2020 is just the perfect way to promote this as we've done for decades, but this is the year to really step up and to do that. So we're looking forward to that and we hope that everybody joins on. And as we put the 2020 eye exam is what we're calling it. Um, oh, we're also working with uh, start with I, E-Y-E, start with I means for let's say someone my age who is caring for both parents and for children, they're in the middle and they're taking care of everyone else around them and they're not necessarily getting them that care for themselves. So we're starting a campaign as well with start with I, start with yourself so you have the ability to care for everyone else around you, for those people that just, they push off their care to get the care for the others in their life. So we're working on that really hard and I think that as we continue to watch the numbers with Think About Your Eyes and our 2020 campaign, Success would be a major increase in people getting that care that they deserve. And Dr. Wolf, I want to thank you. You have been phenomenal in our organization and as a key leader. And everything you're doing is just spot on, appreciated. And I just wanted to tell you how much we all appreciate your efforts for the AOA, for your state, um, and all that you're doing. So thank well, thanks. you. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. And um, I'll see you soon, I'm sure. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You have a great day and holiday. Thanks. You too.